0: This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Good morning, Janelle. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Been looking forward to this uh, podcast for, for a week now. So thank you for having me.
1: I know. I'm excited. Um, I want to give people an intro before we dive in. Before we get too far along, um, Janelle is here with me from Miami as well. She's from New York City, though. So, she, but how long have you lived here? Before I, yeah, I've been here like about thirty-seven years. So, yeah, you've been I mean, in Miami thirty-seven Miami. years. Oh wow, well, yeah, you're from Miami. It's longer than me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. lived here sixteen years. <laughs> I basically am from here. So you are a certified professional coach. You help women overcome burnout by mindfully leveraging psychedelics and transformational coaching to achieve optimal well-being and peak performance. You have personally worked with psychedelics for over 20 years and as a psychedelic integration coach for South Florida's leading ketamine practitioner, the amazing Dr. Michelle Wiener, You weave psychedelics, somatics, mindfulness, behavior change, and design thinking into your coaching practice, helping your clients accelerate experience embodied transformation. Janelle holds health, science, and marketing degrees and has 12 years of experience working with high-performance teams and startups, scale-up, and corporate environments. So thank you for being here (laughs) and Thank you for taking the time. I mean, I think it's so beautiful just reading all the things that you've done and everything you've gone to. I love doing this podcast because I get to deep dive into people's background. And I think it's so interesting. We can know somebody on the internet and on Instagram and feel like we know them. But when we really get to hear people's story, it's actually so awe-inspiring and it just takes me back to hear what you've experienced and what you've been through. So I'm excited to dive in and share that backstory with people. Because um, it's it's just, it's unbelievable. You would never know by looking at somebody what they've been through, right? Right. I mean, you know,
0: people put up a, a variety of facades to kind of get through life, but you don't really know what's underneath the hood until you ask.
1: So... You, I, you know, one of the questions I ask before we get on the podcast are what are what have been the most pivotal points in your life and the crossroads. And you shared with me that you discovered your father had AIDS and was gay when you were eleven years old, and that a lot of that trauma is what led you into exploring psychedelics like LSD, MDMA, and mescaline. So, how did that? all transpire when you were 11 years old and when did you decide to like reopen that box or what did that, how did that trauma unfold for you?
0: Um, that's a great question. Thank
1: you. (laughs) We're just jumping
0: right in. We're just diving Um, right in. I love it. I love it. i am kind of, that's just my personality anyway. So, um, so yeah, I mean, at 11 years old, um, I found out, you know, um, that news, it was pretty shocking. Uh, You know, I didn't really have um, the resources or the understanding of how to cope with some, that type of information. And um, what ended up happening was that I kind of packed it away into the recesses of my mind um, until I had, um, you know, Unconsciously, until I had developed the the tools or resources to actually start unpacking it, and that really didn't start happening until um, I was probably in high school. Um, when I was a kid, when I was at eleven, you know, I did definitely take on some really negative coping mechanisms just because I didn't know how to deal with what I was feeling. Um, so I turned into an emotional eater. I had bouts of bulimia. I turned to sexual promiscuity. I definitely, um, was acting out skipping school wasn't work. I wasn't able to, um, focus or just show up fully in anything that I was doing because I was just in this emotional tidal wave that was just brewing inside of me that didn't, couldn't come out. Um, but then as I got into high school, um, I discovered MDMA and this wasn't like, you know, lab grade MDMA that you would get from like a reputable source. Certainly these things were probably really questionable at the time. Um, but with that, with that particular um, drug, I was almost able to tap into a deep sense of feeling that I couldn't access without it. And so I started uh, doing it probably more than I should have. I, you know, with, you know, to be quite transparent, I was really young and I didn't know what it meant to intentionally use psychedelics for healing. I just knew that the medicine made me feel good and I was able to access feelings that I couldn't access.
1: I was gonna say, you know, what's amazing about that though is like, you know, in high school, I think like when you're in the psychedelic space and when you're in the conversation about it being medicine and to be used with integration and like we will get into all that too, how beautiful that is. I think that we also lose sometimes, not you and I necessarily, but I think sometimes there's a lot of like stigma around how it's used, right? And like most people's first experience of psychedelics is in high school unconsciously. But what I think it's what's so beautiful about that is that, and I was always told us like the medicine is always within you. Like even if you don't know how you're integrating it and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how you're recreating something, like rec- like you're using it recreationally and you don't understand that there's a recreation aspect. Right. So even I think if you're doing it unconsciously like that, the beautiful thing was it's like reorganizing and those emotions and those stories, right? Exactly. So if you can revisit that story that you were holding on to with a different set of emotions, like... How beneficial was that? Even unconsciously, at fifteen years old, right? You know
0: that that's a powerful. That's a great point. It's exactly what ended up happening was that I was revisiting the narrative, but from a different perspective, right? I wasn't. I wasn't repeating, like the the. To be quite honest, you know, for a period of time, I felt like a victim. You know, I felt like, oh, how could this happen to me? You know, Um, of course. With that particular experience, with these particular experiences, specifically the MDMA, I was able to look at it more objectively and just be like, wow, this happened. I can revisit this sadness. I can revisit this experience. But this experience is not me. This experience, it just you know, it's, it's something that happened and it's okay. I'm okay. I'm safe now. Like I can move forward to some degree. And it's not to say that I healed myself completely with MDMA, not at all, but it certainly was... The first step, in, a, yeah. a, in a sequence of steps that <laughs> have taken
1: place up until like recently. So, um, right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, so, so when that happens, so then you're like 15, and you experience MDMA, and you experience emotions that you weren't even able to tap into. I'm just curious. Before we move further, like. When you when you say you discovered your father had AIDS and was gay and then he passed by the age of twelve, there's also like the timeline of that, like the year in which those things happened. Like discovering your father's gay was he married? Was he not supposed to be gay in your mind? Like you had no, nobody had any idea, and so not only was him having AIDS and passing shocking, but also his sexuality. Yeah, And what was the story around that? Yeah. So,
0: and this is, I think, one of the
1: things that kind of just...
0: His story has inspired my pivot, which is really interesting because um, with my father, it was that he was gay and ultimately he knew he was gay. And my family, like my grandmother knew he was gay and even my mother knew he was gay, but uh, they were part of the Jehovah's witness community and to be gay was to not be good according to God, right? You're being, you know, um, you're, 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 you're falling out of the parameters of divine order and divine things. And so, um, he decided that he wanted to try to do right and be accepted by God. Um, and he decided to live a lie And he decided to get married with my mother. And my mother thought, you know, she was young. My mom was only 21. She didn't know what she was getting into with this person, you know? Of course. And um, they decided to try to make it work. And so he married my mom and uh, they were married for just a few years. And I came about as a result of that. Um, But the real reason why my parents got divorced was because my father was gay. <laughs> like You can't, you can't lie. You know, you can't, at least, you know, you, can, yeah. you can't live that lie without impacting the health of your family. Like, that's just the reality. So they ended their marriage and um, a, I didn't know he was gay though. Like, I just thought my dad was, you know, had a great personality, could dance, had a great taste in music, had <laughs> great fashion sense. And I was like, yeah, dad, you're cool as shit. <laughs> but Um, it wasn't until like, uh, yeah, until that time, until I was around 11 that they were like, by the way, he has AIDS. And by the way, he got it, you know, participating in, you know, not not necessarily because he was gay, but more along the lines of this is his lifestyle and you should know the full scope of your father's existence, his life, who he is. Right. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot to process because I didn't really know any gay people and I just watched them on the movies. You know what I mean? Um, And so to to be like, oh, this person is my father. Like, what is that? What don't I know? What else don't I know about my father? And then also like this question of like, I'm really not supposed to be here. Like technically speaking, right. That was my, my wow! Yeah, you
1: like a, your first existential crisis at eleven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Big deal. We're good. Wow, that's. <laughs> but I, but I understand. It's like, well, you're eleven, so you're old enough to understand this, right? And he's dying, so you need to know this before he he passes. It's like all the worlds had to collide in that moment mm-hmm. because you know everything was happening all at once. It's powerful. Yeah. And it's then, crazy to think when you're like, it's it's hard to understand when you're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. But like looking back as adults, it's like, it's quite the miracle that like that all happened at once, even like that you existed, that they all made those decisions and they all came into that agreement. Like what a spiritual contract, right? Indeed. Indeed. And then you wanted to
0: like pepper in some like puberty on top of that.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like hormones, <laughs> mm-hmm. sexuality. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. It
0: just, it really just blew the lid off of it.
1: So how did you move? So you ended up, you, you, you started experimenting with MDMA and in high school. And then, um, what happened after that? You went to college. Like how did this all start to unfold in your life?
0: Um, yeah. So, um, I got into college and, um, I started exploring actually, it was my first bout of LSD was actually prom night. And I ended up taking three hits of LSD. And um, I was always the type of person that wanted to do things in an extreme fashion. And so I thought that three hits of LSD Oh, me a good too, idea. girl. Me too.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was um, a moment to remember because I remember it was my first uh, experience um, like having like dissolved my, my sense of being, my sense of who I was just completely detached. Mm-hmm. And I felt completely like, like I was like uh, from a, from not necessarily from a visual perspective, but from like a, a mental perspective, I was floating like above my conditioning, above my programming, above mm-hmm. my... The hardware, right? The, the 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 hard wiring, and I was like, wait, mm-hmm. well, like, what is this space that I'm in right now? Like, what is this? And it was like the the mantra, my psychedelic mantra that I kept on repeating to myself. But I didn't recognize that it was a mantra, but I kept on telling myself, like, oh my god, reality is like a toy. You play with it. Like, you can you can play with reality. You can manipulate reality. And I just kept on like saying this to myself and it was like this recognition that i i can be or i am what i am repeatedly do what i focus on like i can literally create reality with my thoughts feelings actions and i i can be the creator truly like the creator of my life and life isn't necessarily happening to me i can i can also create and be an active participant in this um and that was a strong realization. Yes, to have and that is age.
1: profound at fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah, that's so
0: profound. It,
1: that's yeah, incredible. it really
0: changed. It changed like everything. <laughs> that ch- changed everything moving forward with how like I interacted with people, um, just my perspective on what was important, what wasn't important. Um, small talk just didn't work for me. Um, just the, the typical things that I guess a normal young adult would gravitate towards just didn't resonate with me at that point. Um, but I think that what was interesting was that even though I, again, a step and one of many on this healing journey, it was just this notion of like, um, I want to explore more, like, especially like psychedelics that are, you know, more like the classic psychedelics. This is what I'm interested in. And, um, it was just like this notion of like connecting with something bigger than myself and feeling the interconnectedness of all things and recognizing that like we have an impact on not just ourselves, but on the world around us. And it was beautiful realizations that I was having throughout the course of my young adult life, but I wasn't integrating these lessons per se. There were, It was almost like a very individualistic approach to my self-development but i wasn't necessarily integrating the insights in um for for maximum impact let's just put it that way
1: and when did that when did that change for you
0: um so that changed for me i want to say when i had my ayahuasca experience um, i want to say throughout like my 20s and 30s i was dabbling with LSD and the psilocybin and the mescaline and um all the psychedelics but usually it was in in a party atmosphere or like in nature and like connecting with things and I had never gone inward with my experience I've always had outward experiences um or externally driven experiences and um throughout the course of my life as that whole psychedelic relationship was forming, um, I knew that there was more, um, I knew that there was more possibility to life. I knew that there's different ways of looking at things. I knew all these things, again, very tangible. Um, but there was always like this deep sadness that kind of resided within me that even though like I could intellectualize my trauma, I could intellectualize it. I could never feel it fully right? The MDMA was the closest thing that I could do to like feel and connect with the feelings, but I had never actually released the grief that was stuck in my nervous system. My nervous system was still vibrating at that frequency. And it wasn't until, I want to say it's been three years since my ayahuasca journey, um, that I actually... I I knew that something needed to happen and I knew that that something needed to be purged. And I kept on hearing about ayahuasca and its benefits of it being able to purge, like energetically purge, uh, you know, emotions from the body. And so I was drawn to that. And when I sat with ayahuasca, I I sat for um, three ceremonies back to back within a weekend and all of the experiences were internally driven And it wasn't until I sat with that medicine that I was able to like uproot this heaviness that just kind of sat at at the the pit of my stomach. And um, I cried probably for about 16 hours. It was just like nonstop, like tears that needed to come out of me. Um, And that, that experience changed everything for me. It was like the most pivotal moment of my life because what I didn't realize was that I, by all accounts, I should have been happy. Okay. I married a great guy. Um, I had a great six-figure job. You know, I was on the path to becoming a director, like all things, you can check all the boxes. What were you doing? Um I what was were doing, you doing what was
1: your previous career? Um
0: so I've been in back in my previous life, I was doing marketing, uh, generally marketing operations for companies, you know, big and small, startups, scale-ups, and corporate. Um, so it was marketing operations. And it was great. I mean, you know, by all accounts, I was doing the American dream thing. I was making it work and being successful. But um, there was always a sadness that I just couldn't get rid of. And it was this lens through which I was seeing the world, even though I had all this knowledge from my psychedelic experiences that, you know, you have the power to change your mind and whatnot. It was still like this lens that I couldn't clear out. Like it was like wearing like a, like a pair of glasses that I couldn't take off. And, um, when I sat with the ayahuasca, it was like I ripped the glasses right the fuck off my face. It was just like, and it just cleared like the way. It cleared everything. And all of a sudden, I had access to like my full emotional range, like fully, like 100%. I can experience joy and I can experience like transcendence and I can experience grief and sadness and anger and all of it. But I, didn't necessarily have access to those emotions before. Um, And so uh, once that veil lifted, I was able to connect very much into what, like the current state of my life and what needed to be changed and why. Versus before the experience, it was just like, I am just incredibly sad. I'm just incredibly sad. And I can't figure out why. Um, And so by doing the psychedelics, I don't want to kind of skip ahead, but like by healing the trauma that I had experienced in my childhood, I suddenly was able to reorient into kind of where I really am today and kind of chart a new path for myself.
1: Well, yeah, because what happens is we create a life that's driven from our... We make decisions, right? We make these micro minute decisions every single day that spin us in a specific trajectory. And like when our nervous system is not right, when our healing is based in our nervous system and we're in fight or flight or sadness and freeze, then we're making all these decisions out of that place, right? And from an unhealed place. And so, you know, I think like that 2020 one 2020 word, I don't know, alignment, (laughs) it's been overused and it's used a lot. But the truth is, is like when we think about like the basics of like chakra or spinal or human design, right? When we think about like geometry and we talk about alignment and we're talking about that, like when you're really heal parts of yourself that have been so fundamentally you, like your personality has been so fundamentally built off of them, right? They've been like your, the cornerstones so- of your decision-making. You can't possibly be in geometric alignment with your own soul's blueprint or your own soul's resonance. And so it sounds like you woke up one day after like unleashing that those emotions and that experience and were like, God, first of all, I've been sad. And I just, you kind of, that became normal. And then second of all, I'm not doing what I want to be doing. And that's also making me sad, <laughs> right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it sounds like you had like a big, beautiful awakening. Um, and I love that this led you into your purpose. And I love that like it all happened for you simultaneously with like the psychedelic movement reemerging too. How beautiful is that? Um, it, it, yeah, <laughs> like you no woke kidding. up one day and are were like, I need a new industry. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is an industry now. Right. We're, we have an industry. It, it really is so funny because it's such a mirror. I feel so my story overlaps with yours so much. Um, mine, I was actually a cu- a brand and business coach for like the last five years. And I was just like really fucking sad. And I describe it instead of like dirty glasses that you like finally took off. I describe it like I had a cloud, like a storm above me, like Eeyore, and the clouds and the storm thickened and thinned, but it never quite went away. So it was just like carrying my little sad cloud around. And I was like totally functioning through it. Um and I was successful, but within my career, and but I was devastated inside. It was like coming off postpartum depression and it just layered on and layered on. And then I actually broke through. Um, and I have like 20 plus years of personal psychedelic experience as well. And I actually broke through with um uh, microdosing mushrooms, was my big oh. um breakthrough because I'd already done like over 140 peyote and ayahuasca ceremonies like 15, like 10 plus years ago. Yeah. I was really big in that space, um, or not big in that space, but like in that, I was in that work, I would say, <laughs> but I wasn't doing it very intentionally. But all that medicine was kind of like in there. So when I did the uh, microdosing protocols with, with um, psilocybin, I really unearthed, like this grief and sadness and anger and resentment for me, it was like anger and resentment. And I woke up and I was like, "I can't fucking do what I'm gonna do, what I've been doing anymore." And actually, I had to quit my coaching for like a year. and um wow. and it finally led me into the space of now now we're doing similar work at working with uh, plant medicine and integration. And so like, we really like, I can't wait to like sit down with you in person, and have lunch and coffee because we have so many shared experiences. Um, yes. Okay. So I want to ask, I want to ask you what, so what was it when you came, when you got off this awakening and got off this, out of this experience of unearthing your grief, how long did it take before you decided to change your career? And what did that process look like for you? Because- you know, we're, the podcast is called Rebellious Reinvention. So it's not only about like reinventing psychedelically, but it's reinventing personal and career and like helping people make these big, brave decisions. Because it's like, it's terrifying to throw everything you've oh worked God, for yes. in your career away and say, I'm starting over, right? So um, I knew like,
0: okay, so I've had many false starts as an entrepreneur. Um, I... I want to say I, tr- I tried to quit marketing like seven years ago or eight years ago. And I tried to like start coaching then. And the truth is that I hadn't really developed my resilience because I was still dealing with trauma that was like unprocessed. And I just didn't have the skin to like deal with it, what it entails to be an entrepreneur. Right. Because it you have to be resilient. And, um, then I tried again, um, I want to say it was probably a few years like two or three years after that i tried again and again another false start i just kept on burning out and i couldn't do it because i was trying to juggle that with my career um and then um after the ayahuasca journey um actually let me let me backtrack just a little bit one year before the ayahuasca journey i was already saying to myself like i can't work in this environment anymore i was working for a high-tech scale up that was based in Europe and this is in the peak pandemic and we're talking massive workloads we're talking complete isolation from my colleagues because they were basically it's a global company and I was the brand strategist for the company but not connected literally to anyone um and then also it was just which is this, so hard this, to, to not, create a brand
1: when you're not connected to right. the culture. <laughs>
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I just felt like I couldn't win, right? I was just like, this is not sustainable for me. I'm burning out. Like, I'm growing apathetic. I'm disconnected from my colleagues. I just want to, like, say fuck it and, like, leave tomorrow. But the truth was that I was like, I know that I'm not going to be here. And so I need to start planning for what that's going to look like. And so I decided a year before my ayahuasca experience, I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew that I wasn't going to be at this job. And so I decided to map out my budget and start saving like basically I cut all expenses and I just started focusing on saving and investing in my 401k that was my that was my main priority did not care about anything else and so my social life basically took a hit but I didn't really care I was just like stacking the, the cash and um, that October was my ayahuasca journey and I remember and this is the point you're gonna laugh. <laughs> so I went into my ayahuasca journey with the intention of show me my new career path like I want to get clear in my purpose <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just want to figure you know, out how many what times that was next.
1: probably my intention I laugh because it's like that's probably was my <laughs> intention it's probably always my intention every time I take a deep dive it's like what are my next steps please not right. another false start <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Clarity. So I'm sitting here, clarity, please give me my 2020 vision. Um, and so I sat with the medicine and the medicine was like, honey, we are not talking about that. <laughs> We've got other issues to ride." So that was that. But the funny thing was that when I came out of the experience, even though my experience was not about my career, I was like, so transformed and inspired by the work that I did do and the volunteers that were working at the facility or the, at the, um, the entheogenic church in which I did this. And I was just like so inspired. I was like, I need to work in the psychedelic space. I was like, this is, this is my calling because like, I've been working with psychedelic medicine for like 20 years and I know how to navigate this space. I understand it intimately. And I was like, and I feel like I can contribute to this space. And so that kind of propelled me to start looking into what does the the psychedelic field look like right now, or does it what does the industry look like? And of course, I used my marketing skills to look at the trends. And I was kind of looking at everything. And I was like, this is an opportunity. Like, like we're just starting to like peek our heads, you know, out of the surface here. And like, we're starting to become, you know, the industry itself is starting to become recognized as something that's actually like reputable and significant and can change the world Mm -hmm. if we allow it with, you know, with responsible practices. And, um, I was like, okay, well I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go there. And I thought that I was going to make the pivot into marketing within that space. However, I did my own coaching. Like I, I sat there and I kind of like sat with myself and I was like, what do I really love about my job right now? What What do I love about my career? What, what were the most energizing moments in these past 15 years that really spoke to me? And I kind of, you know, did a little Venn diagram, you know, and I was like, okay, well-being was one of the things that I was always talking about at work because I just witnessed so much burnout happening all around me. I was dealing with high-performing teens, women who were like giving their all while also raising families, but burning the candle on birth- both ends, wanting to give more, wanting to do better, and then just fizzling out because they gave too much. Um, and so I recognized that well-being was important for me I have obviously a tender spot in my heart for women um, just because I'm a woman. And also I've seen my mother work her ass off three jobs, trying to take care of a kid. Like since you, you know, like, and I've seen like all these wonderful women around me who have been really, really just busting their asses in ways that like, it's just, it's, it's astounding. It really is. These women are incredible. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I was like, so women- before we move on from that, the collective consciousness of women, I had an LSD trip that recently I just did a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I tapped into the collective consciousness of women. Yeah. It was because I've had all this, I've had a lot of... um it was like I was almost born with the experience of unrequited love. I remember writing a poem when I was 16 of unrequited love. And I was like, where did this pain come from? Like, I'm 16. Like, most mm-hmm. of my relationships have been, like, fun and lustful and, like, whatever. Like, not not that deep. Come on. Yeah. And... <laughs> um and then as a mom like you have fear and as a partner you have fear and in relationships as you get older you get cheated on or you cheat or you lie or people lie to you right like all these dynamics and so I had this LSD trip where like, I danced with this house from the 1800s. We were staying in this house from the 1800s. And I thought about all the women who'd walked in this house before me and sat at this hearth where we were built the fire and looked out that door. And like, for every woman who's looked out the door and wondered if their partner was coming home, whether it was from war mm. or hunting or gathering or like they're sending their children off to college and hoping they'll like call again or just you know, all of those feelings of like the unknown that women experience or Mm. survival or pleasure and joy and lust and lust that you can't act on. And now you're 70 and you're in a relationship or you're not, or you want to have kids, but you can't. Like Mm. all these things that women have, it's just so dynamic. And so it's you know, we're, we're a part of it, whether you're a mom or you're not a mom or you're in a relationship or you're not in a relationship. Like we all are experiencing each other's collective energetic consciousness on some levels. So I, I love that you're, so, you, you're so tapped into that. It's beautiful. I had this just profound experience. 100%, 100% and, and you can feel it. And especially in the psychedelic
0: space, you know, just because it's such a conscious space and you really feel the energy, the creative energy that women are putting into the space. And it's magnificent. It really is. And we're tapping into such wisdom, into such collective knowledge. And I think that um, women are going to play a significant role in this space, 100%. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting that, you know, we were talking about you thought you were going to contribute in in a way of like marketing to this space. But when you really look at what your core values are and your Venn diagram wellness is such a part of it, it's like we're also building businesses in this space and technology in this space and corporations in this space. And like, I think the beautiful part that women get to play by being tapped into not just having a voice and a role, but also tapped into the collective consciousness via psychedelics and our ancestors that have come before us is remembering to say, you know, don't forget about that. Like, don't forget to build out space for wellness. Don't forget to build out space for the family in these corporations. Don't forget to, you know build out your company's values based on the role of women, whether or not, and also men as a parent or as partners to these women, right? 100%. Like, not only do we need period days, but like partners who have children, all partners need time off. Like Dr. Bronner's is such a prime example of that. That's why I'm such a Dr. Bronner's obsessed fan. But, um, you know, they're really setting the gold standard for... How corporate or businesses should be run. Right, right. Um. So what happened? So you were you thought you were going to contribute in a marketing way, and what ended up now you really work with right in coaching integration space as a coach. So how did that transition happen, and who are you working with? What are you doing?
0: Right, right. So I, you know, when I was doing my Venn di- diagram, it was like it was well being, but it was also the best part of my job has always been coaching people, right? Because. the companies that I worked at were investing in me as a manager. They were giving me coach training. And so I have coaching credentials as a result of working in these organizations. And so I was like, the coaching has been the part that energizes me the most. I love helping people reach their peak potential, their full potential, and helping them imagine the possibilities and execute on those possibilities. And so I was like, how can I combine coaching, well-being, and psychedelics together and make something of this. And then it was like, oh, well, like there is something (laughs) that does exist that kind of combines all these things together. And, um, it was psychedelic integration. That's kind of where I kind of started. Um, and what ended up happening was that I went to, um, the local like nightclub scene, I'm not, you know, for not, maybe not all your listeners are familiar with it, but space nightclub is a big nightclub down here in South Florida uh, in Miami and they were holding, holding a mental health and psychedelics panel. And I, you know, I, I was like, I guess I'm just going to go and see what they have to say. I have no idea what to expect, but like, I kind of, you know, took a step in like, in the direction of what was pulling my attention. And, um, during that particular panel, I met Dr. Michelle Weiner, and I had asked her about, you know, Using psychedelics for personal development, not just necessarily healing, but you know, what do you think about psychedelics and peak performance and leveraging neuroplasticity to accelerate learning and to you know um, unlock you know creative potential and whatnot? And she and I started talking, and she was like, "Well, I think that you should be my coach." And I was like, "Well, let's do that then, because I need a job, and it would be great to get my foot in the door." And so I quit my job. Um, I had my ayahuasca experience in October
1: and then... Wow. I, I, I remember this panel because my fiance's partners with space on other projects. So
0: oh, okay. and
1: I come from the hospitality industry. We own bars and restaurants. So like, I remember when this panel was, it was like one of their first psychedelic panels. Yeah, it was, in
0: so it was in February. So recent. It was in February. Oh, wow. It was in February, not this year, but last year, February. Of one what? year ago. One year ago. And so I quit my job in October and then in February, excuse me, I had my ayahuasca experience in October, and then I quit my job in February. And wow. so, so it was a really fast transition. But at that point, remember that I had already kind of planned ahead from a contingency standpoint, financially, I had saved for a year. And so it was kind of like preparation meets opportunity. It was like, I had a year's worth of savings. And I met Dr. Weiner, And she was like, here's a job. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And then I quit my job at the technology company and I started my own coaching practice working with Dr. Wiener and helping her patients, her ketamine patients, uh, integrate their experiences.
1: That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's so amazing. What a short time... Like, That's the power of... Healing because when, like, we're going back to that conversation of alignment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you heal and you unblock things in your life, it's like this tight coil that's so tightly wound. Because I always say healing is not linear, I like to visualize it like a coil. Yep. And it's like, as soon as you unlock one piece of the coil, it kind of spins out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you might get to other kinks in the coil where you feel like you're repeating patterns again. And like, I thought I fixed this or healed this, but not quite yet. And there's like a kink in the coil, but like, it's so amazing how you get to like a certain place and you un- unravel one piece of it, and it just yep. like unlock unleashes something 100%. and throws you onto this path where anything is possible to receive the visions that you've you know been given.
0: Absolutely, um, and, I,
1: and I like that's incredible.
0: To, to the to, to add to what you're saying, I, I like to see it as a coil as well or as a spiral as well. What happened was when you when I did the healing work, it was almost like I could sense when I was in alignment and when I was not in alignment anymore. And so before the healing, I couldn't sense what align. I couldn't embody alignment. I didn't... Because I couldn't feel it. I could, yeah, you didn't have access to that emotion. Exactly. And so it was like all of a sudden... When I started moving in alignment with my purpose and with my higher calling, I could sense it. I can energetically feel what that feels like in my body. It's a very anabolic, very expansive, very flow state experience. I feel super energized and charged by it. And now like I am acutely aware of when something feels right and in alignment, it feels fantastic in my body. It feels energizing. When something is not in alignment, it's catabolic, it's destructive, it's constrictive, it shrinks and it's heavy and it just doesn't feel good. And so it was just like, follow the feeling, like follow the feeling. And as I did that, as I followed the feeling, everything unfolded in my life in service of that feeling
1: so beautiful sure. so what is so what is integration you know we probably said integration a few times and for people who are just curious about psychedelics or have had psychedelics or utilize them recreationally um what is what is conscious use of psychedelics and conscious integration look like to you and working with you what are your clients experience besides you know i think sometimes we have these um massive or macro experiences and we have massive awakening and unearthing of stories and trauma. And there's so much that you experience that you just can't put into words. And so explain the benefit of psychedelic coaching and integrating that with you and what that, what that looks like and feels like for your clients. Sure. So, um,
0: you know, The the majority of my clientele are mental health clients because I'm working directly with Dr. Wiener who works with mental health patients. Um, So a lot of these people are dealing with um, treatment resistant depression, treatment resistant anxiety. And uh, oftentimes when they're looking for a psychedelic uh, experience, whether it be ketamine or through uh, a private facilitation with other plant medicines, What they're looking for is the opportunity to to shift their perspective from the current state into a a different mode of thinking and helping them access feelings that perhaps they can't access. Um, So they are looking for deep transformation in order to heal this chronic uh, depression or anxiety. Um, When they're working with me, what they can expect typically, it's getting people ready for their psychedelic journeys. Uh, often times a lot of these people have not dealt with psychedelics at all. And so they really are just putting their little toes in the water and going in here for the first time. And so there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of anxiety around what to expect and nerves. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the prep work is obviously focusing on the intention. What, what's your mindset? What are we working on exactly? What is the root cause? Let's get to the root cause of what is really at the the foundation of your anxiety or depression. And once we get to that kernel of truth, whatever that might be, we help develop uh, an intention. We co-create an intention around that particular um, experience. What do you want to... What do you want to be the outcome of your experience on the other end, on the other end of this? And so we create an intention as if though it's already happened. Um, and then once we have the mindset set up, then we go into um, helping them establish some navigational tools for their psychedelic journey. Um, you know, Focusing on mindfulness, focusing on breath work, and um, really providing some internal resourcing so they can navigate their psychedelic experience with confidence so that they don't necessarily spiral um, should it become overwhelming. Should the material surface that become overwhelming, um, we want to give them the tools so that they can navigate that experience and be able to get through to the other side without it becoming a traumatic experience without the psychedelic experience becoming a traumatic experience. So right. That's really important and that's something that I try to integrate or incorporate early on in the relationship with the client so that it gives them a few weeks of practicing with these tools so that it becomes it's easy or not foreign to them during the experience. Um, and then obviously it's focusing on the setting. You know, Typically when we're dealing with ketamine patients, we're dealing with people who are going into the clinic. And so they basically have everything that they need at their disposal. However, if they're doing one-on-one sessions with me and we're doing either private psilocybin ceremonies or ayahuasca ceremonies, then it's about establishing the setting for those experiences and making sure that their environment is set up for success and making sure that we're very clear on our relationship do's and don'ts on physical touch if there should be any if there should not be any um, and kind of kind of laying the groundwork for the rules of the game during the journey um, depending on the psychedelic journey that they decide to t- take on, there might be some somatic coaching during the process. Um, sometimes people feel very stuck in their experiences. They can't quite allow the experience to happen because they are resisting the, the emotions that are trying to surface. And so I help people kind of come back into their bodies, help them with body-based work to help them get in and help release and unlock the, the, um, the emotions that need to come out. And then after the experience, we integrate, we kind of reestablish what the North star is for these people. What do they want their lives to look like? Um, taking the insights of the experience, any learnings, um, using some mind mapping, to help people kind of make meaning out of the experience and then turning the insights into tangible actions. Um, Whether it be having hard conversations with loved ones, whether it be, you know, making some pivots in their lives, uh, whether it be some basic self-care routines that need to be established. um, Just taking a methodical approach at looking at every aspect of this person's life and seeing where we need to tweak Um, certain behaviors or thought patterns um, or coping strategies and seeing how we need to customize or design what their life needs to look like in order to support a healthier, more balanced version of their existence.
1: That's so beautiful. Well, thank you for doing the work that you do because... And for, for answering the call of your calling, right? Thank you. Because... It's, um, it's not an easy path to chart as the person stepping into this work. Like, of course, it was easy because your soul called you, but it is still a work of high integrity and an ever-changing landscape mm. and facing a lot of stigma. And so it's just really beautiful that you've said yes to this work and that you're in this space because as a person that i've met i know your resonance it's truthful it's integral it's honest it's very genuine thank you and you're welcome and as i said in the beginning it's like you it's just amazing because you don't see you don't know what people have experienced in their path in their past and so many people in this space have had such a integral relationship with the medicine themselves That has been so transformational. And even people all the way up into like the back end of the tech and the marketing and all the different positions, you know, most of the people in this space are really here to do the higher work, the higher calling. But um, it's those of us that get to work with the actual humans that get to see the difference. And I think it's so. But we have to have the highest integrity, right? Oh my God. <laughs> because we're working with, with the people. Oh God. Uh, which could be a whole nother podcast, I was gonna say, I was going to say, <laughs> honey, the
0: healing work that I have to do on a consistent basis, I'm just like... Because I'm constantly... like To the point that you made earlier about having know. Like, that, that uh, corkscrew or um, coil type of um, experience, you're constantly running up against your own challenges, constantly being triggered with your own client stories and their own... Their own trauma can be triggering, and like you have to do your own work so you're not putting your own shit onto your client. It is a whole nother, like, totally. hour long conversation, if not more.
1: It is, <laughs> it is, it is. Well, thank you so much, Chanel. I want to ask you one question before we get off. Um, what does rebellious reinvention mean to you? What is your interpretation of that? I love that question. Rebellious reinvention means
0: being true to you and just turning away from cultural expectations, cultural norms, stigma, and truly just aligning with who you are and owning it and embodying it unapologetically, being you and charting your own path forward because we are limitless. We are limitless and we shouldn't have to be constrained to some expectations that we didn't even set for ourselves. And saying, fuck that. I'm doing it my way. Get out of the way. Yeah. That's it. That's
1: it. Beautifully said. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, I, I cried so much. I did it my way. <laughs> Straight <laughs> up. <So mad>. now. <laughs> Every week we have a reoccurring segment. And I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. Think. What if it's all psychedelic? Like life was conspiring via energy, purpose, atom, whirling and swirling geometrically, ravagely, pacing towards you like destiny, but without regret or sadness. I think it is. I think every experience is psychedelic in nature, and we just fail to see it as such most of the time. Read Beyond the Narrow Life, A Guide for Psychedelic Integration and Existential Exploration don't we all need a little existential exploration in our lives? With the second renaissance and re-emergence of psychedelics in Western society, the public and therapists alike are confronting new areas of exploration with a few comprehensive models available to aid in the profound processing and integration of such powerful, mystical-like experiences into one's life. Enter scene, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. It offers one of the most useful models for this work, but access to even traditional therapy is obviously limited due to the expense and inadequate specialized, aka trauma training, right? So with questions surrounding legal access, criminalization, and medical indications and contraindications of psychedelics. These amazing men have written this book, Beyond the Narrow Life Seeks to Thread a by addressing profound themes elicited by psycho-spiritual and therapeutic use of psychedelics while avoiding merely preaching to the choir. I don't know how they did it, you guys. It's an amazing book. It explores common topics that emerge during psychedelic journeys by integrating several existential philosophy, compassion, and mindfulness practices. Dr. Ortego gently guides the readers through an awe-inspiring journey that confronts the deeper questions and concerns that we all face as humans. So if you want integration and you do not have access, here is where to start. And lastly, do join Janelle's email list. She's such a beautiful, tender woman, and clearly she has been through it all, as we all have, right? And so I feel like she's a wonderful, trusted, soft place to land if you're looking for a coach and a therapist who can support you in this healing journey. She has a free 30-minute call. I'm gonna leave the link here. Please go sign up for her email list, book this 30-minute call, and allow yourself to be supported. And lastly, thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe and share. And if you're feeling extra generous, write a review. I read every one of my reviews. And as I've said before recently, I'm thinking about adding a little section to this podcast where I read your reviews. So if you want your words shared endlessly into the world and feel that resonance and you want to share some beautiful love with me, please write a review. I am signing off rebelliously and relentlessly, and babes, don't forget to question everything.